Welcome back to another episode of Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, the founder of Blister, and you can check out all the other stuff we've got going on over at blisterreview.com. Today on the podcast, we are back with part two of Bikes vs. Skis, where our bike editor, Noah Bodman, and I dive deep down the rabbit hole of gear nerdery to ask the question, which particular bike company is most like which particular ski company? And ever since part one of Bikes vs. Skis, it has certainly warmed the cockles of our gear nerd hearts to find out that a whole lot of you wonder about these sorts of questions too. So thanks to all of you who posted your own takes on Facebook or Instagram or on the website. Uh, Noah and I talk about a number of your suggestions in this episode, so listen up to see where we think you actually had the better answer, uh, and then of course where we think you are clearly crazy and went off the rails. If you've somehow missed part one, of course, you should go back a couple of episodes of Gear 30 and check it out first, then come back to get Noah's rather surprising vote for the best looking bikes ever made to hear us debate which bike is the equivalent of the moment Bibby slash Wildcat slash Blister Pro, or maybe just to hear me yell at Noah a whole bunch and to get the, what I'm sure will prove to be historically important origin story of Team Disappointment. Uh, and then, of course, finally to get our take on another 20 or so additional bike companies. This episode of Gear 30 is presented by Team Disappointment. Actually, Team Disappointment is so disappointing, they didn't even sponsor this episode. But this episode is made possible by the 750 plus miles of trail in the Gunnison and Crested Butte Trails Network. That's more than 750 miles of the best riding in the United States. And starting on August 17th, Crested Butte is hosting Outer Bike. Outer Bike runs from August 17 through August 19, and if you go, all you ladies and gentlemen will be able to check out the CB trails and demo bikes from a bunch of the companies that we're discussing on these Bikes vs. Skis episodes. So again, Outer Bike starts on August 17th in Crested Butte, and you can learn more about the event at outerbike.com slash Crested Butte, and we'll have links in the show notes of this episode that you can click on to get all the other details about Outer Bike in CB. So get to CB to go ride some cool bikes and great trails, and now let's get to part two of Bikes versus Skis. Well, Noah, you are... Finally back from your, like, I don't know, six-week-long bike tour, bike race extravaganza stuff where, I don't know, it's like you were just in the wilderness forever. Um, so it's it's good to be talking to you again. Um, you didn't win the race, though. Is that true? You didn't win? Yeah, I, I should have tried harder. Uh, so that's what I was gonna. That's where I was headed with that. So that's cool. It sounds like you did pretty good. But next time, Noah can just please try harder. Yeah, noted. Uh, I'll uh, incorporate that into my training regimen <laughs> next time. <laughs> Perfect. Um, well, this is fun. We're back for part two of bikes versus skis, and it was um, how do we say? rather comforting to know that there were a whole bunch of people out there in the world who also uh, were excited and apparently spend a lot of time thinking about things like this. So it wasn't just, it's not just me and you, Noah. There's some comfort in that. Yeah, who knew that inane bullshit was so popular? <laughs> oh, boy. 
Uh, I was about to make a joke about the last election, but um, <laughs> so let's go ahead and start actually with a bit of a recap. We obviously came with our suggestions in part one, and we got a lot of. Well, let's let's be honest. Let's keep it honest. We got a number of very good responses. We got some pretty stupid responses, I would argue, you know, just one or two. Um, but for the most part, I think people, I, I was overall impressed uh, with the with the incisiveness uh, coming from the, the Blister listeners on this one. Yeah, some people have put a lot of thought into this. A lot of thought. Yeah, maybe I, more I than... I would say too much thought. <laughs> no, I would strongly disagree with that. But let's talk about a couple of the responses that kind of stood out to us the one that the i think the the primary thing is a bunch of people were coming with the moment skis is evil bikes and we had kind of talked around moment a little bit but you had actually gone with black crows as evil and now I am wondering if actually our listeners got it right and you got it wrong. And now I'm also disappointed in you, not just because you didn't win the six-day stage race, but that you maybe messed up this analogy. Yeah, Defend yourself. I mean, perpetual disappointment here. Um, I mean, I, I don't think they're. Uh, I don't think they're wrong saying moment is evil. You know, I think. You know, we kind of established that evil is sort of the cool kids brand. We 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 threw out black crows as also a cool kids brand i would argue that in the scheme of the bike industry evil is a relative newcomer and as is black crows in the ski industry so so you know that kind of lines up nicely as like the new cool kids brand uh moment i see is also sort of the cool kids brand but maybe their their uh the height of their moment has already passed um no pun intended so so they're also kind of the cool kids brand but but they peaked maybe a few years ago um so they they don't feel like quite as new of a company as black crows but the general vibe of moment is definitely along the same lines as evil black crows is a little more of like a euro brand where moments kind of got like the whole punk rock thing going which totally works with evil so mm -hmm. so yeah uh i think our I, I think our readers are on point here okay Listeners, yeah and i, <clears throat> I think that I mean, I think that, you know, when you said like moments kind of moment had passed, I don't, th well, I, I think that's true in this sense that by definition, you can only be new for so long, right? So, and I think that's important to point out because I don't think actually that it, it's like the phase, the fad, you know? Um, so in that sense, I think Black Crows has the belt right now, but if you're going to be a successful company over the long haul, then you better figure out how to be cool for year after year after year. What else? Um, well, I guess sticking with Black Crows for a second, I got weirdly um, agitated 
by the suggestions that that like Black Crows was Santa Cruz. Yeah, that that doesn't um, seem like a great fit. And it, it came in. That one came in several times, and I just kept coming back to that. Feels to me to wildly underestimate how much volume Santa Cruz yeah. is doing. So I, for what it, rightly or wrongly, I was like, it's got to be the case that you have to acknowledge that like Santa Cruz is just moving bikes, selling yeah, bikes. Like in the, in the high end market, Santa Cruz is nipping at the heels of like specialized and Trek in the ski market. Black Crows is like, they're, they're not nipping at Solomon's heels. No. So anyway, um, that was my point of weird, uh, agitation. I think a, there was a lot of good stuff about, you know, YT is faction or YT is forefront. Mm-hmm. And, and th- those were all yep. kind of on point. Um, anything else, anything else stand out to you from the specific comments? There was one comment that I noticed, uh, it was from Matt Franzik. He, uh, he had a couple of good yeah. ideas, but he said, Yeti was Kessley. And I thought that one was interesting since it's kind of this, you know, it's like a racer, like Kessley is more of like the racer ski brand that now makes kind of race type skis, but for the all around skier. Um, So I thought that was kind of an interesting comparison. Um, You know, Kessley and I think Stokely also came up, you know, they're, they, they seem to me to be very kind of European and have this Euro mentality to them where that's not at all the case with Yeti, but it kind of got me thinking whether there was a European bike brand that fit nicely into that mold, like the European equivalent of Yeti. And, and I couldn't come up with one, but I also admittedly am just not nearly as familiar with some of the European bike brands. Uh, you know, there's Mondraker and Orange and Nikolai and a bunch of these other smaller companies. And maybe one of those fits in nicely, but I couldn't come up with it. I had a question sort of related to this that we, I don't think we got to this in, uh, in part one, but, uh, who is the bike equivalent of Kessley or Stokely? As a generalization, Kessley or Stokely owners tend to think that they are skiing on the finest skis in the world and look down on people who own things like, you know, vocal mantras or blizzard brahmas. And if they see you on a pair of moments, then you like are not allowed to date their daughter. Is and there? I, a, and I think, I mean, as best as I can come up with, that's, I think Matt's right that that's Yeti. Um, you know, again, for all the reasons I just said, it's not a perfect comparison, but, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's, there's something there, you know, the other one that I came up with on that would be zeroed, not because the zeroed people are, are nearly that snooty and well, I don't know if they'd let you date their daughter, but they're at least like. You know, they don't look at you on, on you know, your specialized stump jumper and, and look down at you because of it. 
it's more like they pity you because you don't know how <laughs> good you could have it if you just bought a zeroed. Uh, and and you know, I think zeroes have their upsides and downsides, but but by and large, the owners of zeroes that I have talked to, they are one hundred percent certain that what they are on is vastly superior to anything else out there the gearbox aficionado crew, yeah you know they are they're pretty hardcore about it um and and th- yes. they have some points and look full disclosure you and i actually have recently uh had a conversation with rob the founder of zero and turns out he's basically the nicest guy in Super the world nice. so <laughs> i i rob is definitely not going to uh look down on you though i think you are right to say that they are very convinced that they are they are kind of doing things the right way so and they're convinced that it is better at least for the uh you know in the in the right scenario yeah yeah um we had a the instagram comments uh on this particular post we're, we're pretty rich. And so people can go back and find that if you want to. But some good questions were raised about uh, someone was like, okay, so what bike is the Moment Bibby Pro? Yeah. And that's a, that's a tricky one. I was, I was thinking about this one. Uh, there was, uh, I think Chris Ramey made a point for the Santa Cruz Nomad, which, you know, so this is a little tricky because when I look at the Bibby, now now there was the Bibby 2 or whatever you want to call it. They, they changed it for a bit and then they went back, right? And so the Bibby we are on now, yeah, the Bibby slash the Blister Pro slash the Wildcat as it currently exists is the same as the original Bibby. So in my brain, I sort of ignore that brief time period where they decided to change it and they kind of screwed it up. And I just think of the Bibby as being like this awesome ski and it has been awesome from day one and it's been around for years, you know, of the, of the skis out there that are popular, there aren't many others that I can think of that have really been unchanged for as long as the Bibby. Um, so, so looking at it that way, you know, I don't think the Nomad's a good fit because the Nomad gets revised every, you know, whatever, three years or so, um, which is... Which, strong, strong argument you're making and, here currently. Props to... I've, I've been hard on you this episode, so now I'm, you know, I've credit where credit is due now. And, Keep and going. So, and the Nomad is not, uh, it's not unusual in that regard in that it's gone through you know, however many iterations it's been, you know, I could say the same thing about like an Ibis Mojo, like it came out and it was this awesome bike, whatever it was 12 years ago. And it's gone through iterations up until, you know, I did a review on the Mojo HD four this spring, still an awesome bike, but it's, it's different by a, a large margin than the original one. And so I'm not sure there is a bike. I mean, bikes have just changed so much over the last decade that I'm not sure it's really possible to find a bike from a decade ago that is still awesome now and is as widely loved as something like the Bibby. 
Um, you know, really, if it's going to be a bike that has been so good for so long, you know, it, it kind of feels like it, it's got to be like a hardtail just because full suspension bikes have, have changed what? so much. Not saying the Bibby is the equivalent uh. of a hardtail at all. Just if I'm on this line of thinking that we're like, you know, a bike that hasn't been super modified over the years. Um, mm. Yeah, I don't know. I've, I'm off the train. I'm done. I'm done complimenting you. That seems stupid. <laughs> the Bibby's not a hardtail. Okay, tail. okay. That's fair enough. I, I agree with you there. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know what the bike equivalent is then. I don't think there's a bike that has remained as good and as unchanged for such a long time. Ryan Conroy had suggested the transition Sentinel and somebody else had thrown in or wondered about the pivot Firebird. Uh, well, yeah. So if we're ignoring the unchanged thing and we're just saying with capabilities, so, so I'm going to design the, uh, so I'm going to define the Bibby. Well, I'm just going to go with playful charger. That's what we always call the Bibby. And every review that we wrote mm -hmm. on whatever Bibby iteration, that phrase always worked its way into the review. So for a playful charger, um, I don't like the Firebird comparison. Um, you know, maybe the Nomad isn't too far off on that. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I don't think the Enduro works. The transition sentinel is trickier just because I haven't ridden it. It does not strike me as an overly playful bike. I'm sure somebody out there is going to say it's the most playful thing ever. I'm also pretty sure they're wrong. Um, <laughs> but again, I haven't ridden it. But, you know, that seems like a bike that, yeah, a good rider can pop and play around on it. But a good rider can pop and play around on almost any bike. Um the Sentinel seems like it is, you know, it, it's the slackest two niner on the market. That's not a downhill bike. And yeah, slack two niner mm -hmm. does not equal playful. Um, it equals charger, mm -hmm. but it does not equal playful. So, yeah. um, play, you know, I would lean more towards, uh, maybe like an evil insurgent, uh, like a 27.5 wheeled slacked out pretty, uh, like progressive geometry and progressive suspension. Like it pops well. Um, so maybe something like that. And, you know, everybody seems to like this, hmm. this moment evil comparison. So that, that works out nicely. Um, but okay. yeah, eh, okay. I'm, somebody can write in and tell me I'm wrong. Please do, people. I wanted to ask this question about, well, basically, to what extent are the conversations about weight that we're now constantly having in the ski world? You know, how heavy do your boots need to be? How heavy do your skis need to be? Um, how relevant are those conversations uh, about weight in the ski world to? weight questions about weight in the bike world or does it not matter since with bikes you can just get your suspension from a fork or shock so you can get away with going light 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 on frames and other components whereas if you go light on skis you don't really have ways to still get good suspension um 
you know, I think it's fairly different. Um, I mean, at, at, a, at the base of it, weight is weight. If you're going uphill, mm-hmm. less weight makes things easier. You know, I think you're getting pretty hung up on this suspension idea, but weight and suspension are two fairly separate conversations in terms of how a bike would perform. Uh, you know, with bikes, suspension is really going to come down to how well you can control the bike through rough terrain versus how much efficiency are you losing because of that suspension. And then, you know, there's a, there's sort of a third consideration, I guess, that's how much weight do you add to the bike by adding suspension. Mm-hmm. But, you know, that's, that's sort of a separate discussion, you know, generally for, for an XC bike, if you're doing a race, if you've got more than one bike at your disposal, you look at the course and say, well, am I going to be faster on this course with the suspension because I'll be able to go faster and stay in control, even though I lose a little bit of efficiency, or is it faster on the hardtail where I, I have, I can lay down more power. There's better power transfer. Uh, and the course isn't rough enough that I need the suspension, mm-hmm. uh, which just isn't really a conversation in the ski world. Uh, like it just doesn't work like that. Yep. Um, at least not in the same way. Yeah. So, but you know, weight's always an issue and to a greater extent in the bike world, it's all right. Well, how late do you want to go? How much durability are you willing to sacrifice? Because you don't win any races when you break something right halfway through the race. Right. Right. Um, which on the ski world, I mean, yeah, there's durability issues, but it's, maybe less of an issue. Okay. Um, Moving on. I think we can just get to the new stuff. Um, I'm just going to lastly say, you know, I was making a case on the part one for Santa Cruz as DPS. And I'm I'm just putting this out there for the record. I'm liking that analogy more and more. That's all I'm going to say. Um, but I'm feeling good about that one. So, okay. Um, <clears throat> one I've been wanting to talk about, let's get to some new stuff. Um, yeah. Comensal been in the news a lot lately cause they've been, uh, Comensal bikes have been winning a lot of races. So yeah. Talk about Comensal. They've been doing real well on the downhill circuit. Um, so, you know, they're kind of a company that has, maybe struggled to find their course forward for a few years. You know, they kind of struggled with doing a dealer network and now they're direct consumer and they seem to be doing really well. And then they've got this new DH bike that's high pivot with an idler pulley, which um, they're certainly not the first ones to do it, but they seem to be having more success with it than anyone else has, I think. Um, so yeah, I mean, they're a small company. I think there's a few ski companies that are probably, uh, comparable. Um, you know, the one that pops into my brain is Faction, um, kind of a Euro company that's got some 
uh, heavy hitters on their team. And uh, yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that? Honestly, I don't know. So I'm just deferring to you there. Um, Black Crows is getting... Uh, Yeah, then I think uh, think Faction feels pretty good for Common Saul. Um, Black Crows... You know, another European brand. Um, it just doesn't quite... I, I can't quite put my finger on it, but they don't have the same vibe. Commentall has, has maybe always been a little more... It seems like competition-driven. Mm-hmm. Um, both racing and, like, other events. Um, which just isn't kind of the vibe that I get from Black Crows. Um, I'm not sure I get that vibe from faction either, but I don't know, for whatever reason, faction just sits a little better in my brain. Okay. Um, this one maybe goes quick, but Canfield, actually our, our guy, uh, Matt, Matt. Yeah. Matt, Matt, uh, I liked Matt's comment across the board. He said Canfield was similar to Praxis. Yep. And I think that is about as spot on as we're going to get for Canfield. Um, you know, they're small companies. Yep. They, uh, they do their own thing a little bit. Um, you know, Praxis, uh, they've had some skis in their lineup that are just like, yeah, everybody agrees. Those are just awesome skis. Yep. And they've been around for a while. Um, and Canfield's kind of the same way, you know, they've had some hits and some misses, but they've, they've had one or two bikes in their lineup that are just, you know, they just killed it with them. Mm -hmm. Um, but I also think both of those companies are maybe, uh, maybe struggling a little bit right now. Um, trying to kind of keep up with the pace of the industry. And so I, I would say for both of them, uh, hopefully not. Maybe I'm totally off base on this, but I kind of wonder if their future is a little uncertain. Okay. Um, Matt, good job. Let's keep it moving. Yeah. Um, who's next? Uh, well, let, let's just stick with Matt. His third comment was that Da Vinci is the same as Blizzard. And I like that one. Hmm. I'm not sure uh, I do. You had well, so the reason I like this one is entirely subjective, and it is just because I tend to get along with almost every bike that Da Vinci makes, mm-hmm. and I also tend to get along with pretty much every ski that Blizzard makes. And I would say both of those companies tend to uh, make maybe slightly more traditional products you know da vinci's not pushing the outer limits of of uh geometry and and doing super weird stuff with their bikes blizzard is is not doing crazy shapes like their skis tend to be a little more traditionally shaped and uh both of those companies you know their stuff is uh a little bit heavy which i think tends to be a good thing the da vinci bikes tend to weigh a little more they're a little more durable and uh, they don't feel like a real fragile little piece of plastic. And the Blizzard skis tend to have a bunch of metal in them and weigh more, and I think they ski better because of it. You know, the f- part one, 
you lined up Pivot with Blizzard. You are now saying you like the Da Vinci to Blizzard better than Pivot to Blizzard? Yeah, I'm going to go with my guy Matt. I think what he came up with is better than what I came up with. And and yeah, well, Da Vinci, Blizzard, <clears throat> done. Okay, well now we've got to go back to Pivot then because you just seeded ground. Next time I'm doing this with Matt, you're fired, Noah. Yeah, yeah, get Matt on the phone. Who, uh, who's Pivot then? Yeah, I mean... Pivot's a tough one. We went over this last time. I struggled with both Pivot and Ibis mm-hmm. because they're not companies that that like have some defining characteristic that I can latch on to. They just kind of make pretty straightforward, high-end, good bikes. Now, since I brought up Ibis, somebody in the comments, I forget who, it wasn't Matt, uh, made a connection between IBIS and DPS mm-hmm. in that they are uh, a high-end company that sort of came out of a non-racer focus, uh, whereas companies like Yeti and Intense and and some of these other bike brands have really at least started as a racing-oriented company, whereas that Never really was the case for Ibis and Pivot, which isn't to say that they haven't had race teams and they've got all kinds of guys that ride their bikes that are going fast. Um, But it's never been sort of how the companies branded themselves. Um, So I think uh, I would have to dig through the comments to see who said it, but whoever it was that said Ibis was DPS, I think I could make the same point for Pivot. Um, You know, there's something to be said there readers listeners please save us on this one we are specifically asking you to weigh in on the pivot question pivot and ivis i'm i find noah's answers deeply unsatisfying so uh as as do i noah finds noah's answers unsatisfying yeah so welcome welcome to my world dealing with noah people (laughs) just just a world of deeply unsatisfying answers just lurching from one disappointment <laughs> yeah, to the next. Exactly. Um, try harder, Noah. Um, okay. Hey, story of my life. Tell you what. Let's hit. Let's let's go. This one goes fast. We've already we've talked around it a little bit. Zeroed bikes is renowned skis. We feel very yeah. good about this one. We like that one. Yeah. Um, well, so zeroed. I already talked about a little bit. Yep. And that you know they're doing their own thing. They're they're gearboxes. They are definitely different and uh in some respects i think they are clearly better um but you know they have their downsides they're they're heavy and they have grip shift so i Um, i guess in that sense actually when you say they're heavy well that's the opposite of true for renown but we still like the analogy because renown is introducing they're doing something and using a technology that literally nobody else is using and they're able to make these wildly light skis simply ski heavier. Um, that's that's kind of the the niche or space they're occupying right now. Um, and so it is. It we've skied enough different renowned stuff at this point that uh, a renowned ski coming in at say sixteen hundred grams is going to ski quote unquote better or ski heavier than 
a 1600 gram ski from a number of other companies. So anyway, we like that one. They're niche, they're niche. They're, you know, nerding out a little bit in unique ways. Um, we can now just move on. Yeah, done. And neither are cheap. We can add that too. I mean, right. These aren't price point products. So that, that is accurate. Yeah. <laughs> um, next. I think we, we'd never, did we really talk about Surly? I don't think we got to them last. No, we didn't get to Surly or Salsa in episode one. Let's we, do those two. name dropped, but then we didn't do them. Yeah, let's do those so, two. Man, Surly is an interesting one. Yeah, they are. So, uh, so they're owned by QBP, mm-hmm. which is a giant wholesaler. So, you know, they're part of a bigger corporate structure. But as best as I can tell... The higher ups at QVP just sort of like it's like a don't ask, don't tell kind of policy with Surly because Surly just does whatever the fuck they want. And it works because they sell a ton of bikes and everybody likes them. They're super quirky and uh, and yeah, they 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 make these generally. I, I think everything they make is steel. Uh, it's. I think it's all uh, hardtail or, or rigid bikes. And they just make all kinds of weird stuff. Like anything that they dream up, they just do it. Yeah. Um, but but they're a high-volume company. They yep. sell a ton of them yep. because they're cheap. You know, they're not, they're not light. They're not made out of like the finest hand-drawn Japanese steel tubing. Mm-hmm. They're made out of like straight-gauge heavy steel that is cheap. Uh, they're all price point bikes, but you know, they're well thought out. They're well designed. They have good geometry numbers. They have all kinds of good features that, that are well designed for the purpose that the bike is, is intended for and people love them. And so like, I don't know what the equivalent in the ski world is. That's making like high volume, but, weird skis uh that are cheap like who does that yeah i don't i don't think there really is the the direct comparison in the ski world and i say that as a compliment to surly yeah like they are good on you you know and i think they are doing something really interesting and i think there is some room here for somebody in ski to get weirder um, that says, so with that caveat, I'm, I'm thinking the answer is either line skis or maybe Icelandic and it line skis they're doing, I, I, I don't think one of the two is disqualified from a volume point of view. I think really what we, what we kind of have to go to is both of the brands are doing some pretty decent volume. And there is the quirkiness factor. And I'm here now going to give big, big points to line with their whole traveling circus. I think that is a phenomenal ongoing, you know, uh, series. um, And they deserve big props for that. Um, Icelandic has just been kind of quirky uh, from really from the the Mm get-go. So... The, the Icelandic if vibe I, is a lot different than the Surly vibe, though. Very, yes, for sure. Um, so, Did you ever see, I don't there's, know, I, there's a guy making 
uh, skis. Like some guy with a mohawk was making skis out of a trailer and mammoth. I think it was three 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 skis. Yeah. They were like made out of plywood <laughs> and kind of had a, issues with breaking. Um, but they were cheap. I, they were three hundred thirty three bucks. I can't, um, I can't believe you're even bringing this up. But go ahead. I, I, that that's about as far as I was going to go with it. He, he is quirky I, and he is doing something different, and they are cheap. It was not high volume, and the product I don't think was good at all. Yeah. Um, but there's like, and he's maybe sold four ever. So I don't know. I'm sticking with wine, and I don't even want to hear this. No, line, wine's way better. I, you know, I, I was just. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for that shout out. Wow. It was a half okay. an analogy. <laughs> yeah. Um, salsa. Yeah. So this one's a little easier, I think. Um, you know, I see salsa as a company that that has sort of developed their niche, and they know what it is, and they just go with it. And it's you know they market themselves around like an adventure bikes and adventure cycling. So it's bike packing and bike touring and just, you know, getting out on these big long rides. Um, and they make a pretty wide range of bikes, but it's all done with that kind of mindset. And so I think there's one or two options that make sense on the ski side of things. Um, but I'll let you jump in since you're going to have an opinion on this. The thing that we had talked about previously was the note I have written down for salsa is we said it's kind of the calm and rational side of Surly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That, that is, uh, that's accurate. Cause I mean, they're both under the QVP umbrella, so they're both part of the same broader corporate structure. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah, it's like, uh, (laughs) <laughs> this is this is a generalization based on their booths at Interbike, <laughs> but it's like <laughs> Surly are the guys that like it. It's like <laughs> some heavy set tattooed guy who's trying to manage to hold like seven solo cups full of beer <laughs> all at the same time, and it's just like yeah. partying his ass off, and they're selling bikes because of it. Whereas Salsa is like, you know there's some very intelligent engineers who are sitting down and, and thinking about how they can improve their product in a, in a very intelligent manner. Um, Uh that is given that I, I have met and ridden with guys from both companies. That is not an entirely fair, uh, characterization. But Uh you know, that's kind of the vibe the companies give. Broad, broad strokes. Yeah. yeah. So, I, I loved that. I love that. The calm and rational side of Surly. And so I I think of two companies. I think of Black Diamond on the ski side. Mm-hmm. One could make the case for G3. Yep. Um, and so <clears throat> I don't have anything more to add on that front, but those would be kind of my, you know, I would, I would submit those two as uh, – appropriate answers to the to the salsa question totally um those, those are the two that i had in my brain so um okay i'm, I'm glad <laughs> that i didn't disappoint you briefly thank you thank you for not disappointing me this particular time uh, noah yeah um intense this is a good one i'm gonna learn some things here i hope um who yeah. do we want to line up with intense 
You know, I haven't decided who to line up with Intense. You know, I, I look at them as they're similar to Yeti, but with, like, more of a fuck you attitude. Um, like, they were built as a race brand. Like, they built their reputation on making race bikes. In the 90s, there was all kinds of brands that were rebranding Intenses for their team to ride because the Intense bikes were just clearly better um and like sean palmer was their poster boy who is mm -hmm. like the the king of the fuck you attitude so mm -hmm. um so yeah that's that's the brand you know they, they've got like the racing heritage of yeti uh but a little well quite a bit more like punk rock about it um and you know they're a california brand and they've you know they sort of have that SoCal mentality. Um, so I don't know who that is on the ski side of things. Like who's who's the, you know, racing heritage, but with punk rock attitude for skis. Or at least competition oriented, but with a fuck you attitude. Because, you know, hmm. all the fuck you attitude ski brands are smaller brands and none of them are, mm -hmm. I don't think really putting much together in terms of race skis. Mm -hmm. So it's a tricky one. It is. Um, wow. I got nothing. Yeah. I don't know. Um, you know, there's other directions like intense has kind of struggled over the years, you know, Another way to look at it, I guess, would be Intense. They were huge at the uh, turn of the century, <laughs> you know, and in like yep. 1999, 2000, like yep. Intense was the brand. And then Intense and Santa Cruz uh, sort of jointly licensed the VPP design from Outland. If I remember right, it was Santa Cruz licensed it, but then Intense got to use it. Um, and that was in the early 2000s. And it's like, since that point, Santa Cruz has kind of taken off like a rocket. And Intense has sort of meandered their way upwards with a very inconsistent uh, rise and arguably a little bit flat. Um, so... So, yeah, I mean, the traje trajectory of the company has been less than stellar. Um, so that probably lines up. There's probably some ski company that we could draw a parallel with there. I'm not sure who it is. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I think this is not a considered answer, but I think if we're just trying to look at trajectories, um, rises, falls, uh, re kind of revampings or, or, you know, retoolings, I would, it's possible we could be talking about an Armada or a forefront. Yeah. And I, and I was leaning more towards Armada. I mean, forefront seems like they're sort of, uh, at least making a strong attempt to sort of reinvent themselves recently which is not something that I really see from Intense. Maybe mm -hmm. they're making an attempt, but it's not a strong attempt. Okay. Okay. 
Well, yeah, I'm not willing to, I'm not hanging a hat hard on that pairing, but yeah. we'll see. So another opportunity if people have smarter things to say about intense, but um, uh, we're all ears. Mm-hmm. Um, next, can we talk about Kona? You know, I kind of see them in the first podcast, we talked about giant, how they're sort of stable and they don't change a lot and their bikes tend to be uh, a little more reasonably priced because of it, because they're not redesigning things every year, every other year. And I I see Kona as being about the same as giant or similar to giant in that regard where, you know, Kona has their designs. They don't really change those designs a whole lot. Their designs tend to be good. They tend to work well. Um, you know, you see all kinds of guys. Like, if if you're going to go to a bike park and see someone on a 15-year-old bike, you know, good money says that it's probably a Kona. Um, so they're, they're somehow cooler than Giant, though. Um, I, I don't know how that works, but I, you know... I can't keep track of what's cool these days. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, they're like the cool giant. So, but they're a way smaller hmm. company, right? Um, mm-hmm. Still a major manufacturer. Um, they're probably, in terms of higher-end bike sales, they're probably not way behind giant. Um, but, you know, giant's this huge multinational corporation that does other stuff, uh, whereas Kona just make spikes um so yeah i don't know where that lands them in terms of a ski brand i think somebody said that kona was similar to k2 which feels okay actually i think that's not a terrible (laughs) comparison um (laughs) i think k2's k2's road has been a little rockier than kona's um (laughs) but uh you know they're they're both uh, yeah. Th- there's some parallels to be made there. Rocky Mountain. Yeah, so Rocky, they're like the definitively Canadian brand. Um, the people that's an awesome. They need that to be their like slogan. Just the definitively Canadian brand. Yeah, I like that. Well, we should I mean, we should they, submit that. They do embrace it. You know, they've got. Canadian yeah. flag paint schemes and um, you know they're based in Vancouver um, they've generally sponsored a lot of Canadian riders uh, so beyond that I mean they make a pretty well rounded uh, lineup of bikes um, I would not say that they're super race oriented they're more of a trail free ride you know they've always made a bunch of bikes kind of built around the super technical riding that is in their backyard um but uh yeah i mean again they're they're one of those companies that's hard to to define in one tidy little phrase other than definitively canadian okay the Rocky Mountain Bicycles, the most Canadian thing. Yeah, which which maybe like Da Vinci and Norco are annoyed about, but I'm going to give it to Rocky. 
By the way, this now that you've already you surprised me with your move. Uh, who did you line Da Vinci up? I'm blanking all Blizzard. of a sudden. Blizzard. Yeah. Blizzard. Because I, from a conversation we probably had like, I don't know, two years ago, I had penciled in J-Skis with Da Vinci. And I'd like to, I, I'm, I'm interested in the question of like, so J-Skis, who would, if, if not Da Vinci, who would, who's the better fit? With J-Skis? I guess I don't know enough about J-Skis. They're too new. Tell, tell me about J-Skis, and I'll, and I'll give you a bite. So Jason Leventhal, first yeah. of all, uh, you know, founder of Line Skis. So not surprisingly, I mean, we were given a lot of props to Line for their kind of their marketing and the traveling circus, and they deserve that. But Jay definitely has that fun times vibe marketing going on. Um, but the thing that is, there is, I think a, a thing, a generalization you can put to J skis. They are all, they are all relatively heavy for what they are. And anybody who knows me at all knows that that is kind of a compliment. Um, they are, they are on the heavy side of things and they are not stiff. So, and I think frankly, they all kind of ride well because of that. Go heavier, don't go crazy stiff uh, flex pattern, you end up with a nice ride. So I don't know that we've ever yet gotten on a J-Ski and been like, this thing is just stupid. It, it's actually quite the contrary, right? But they're kind of just throwing, they keep throwing strikes, you know? Yeah. They're not wildly deviating from like one design to the next, so that's what I've got for. Are they direct to consumer? Mostly. Mostly. Yeah. Um, I mean, it feels a little YT-ish, um, just in terms of like kind of the attitude of the company and the direct to consumer, new brand. Um, you know, there's there's a bunch of parallels to be drawn there. Well, then name one that isn't YT, because you keep using YT for, like, every third answer. I, I haven't said YT yet today. That seems not true. <laughs> Who you got? Uh, other than YT? Yeah. So you don't like my right answer, so now you're asking me for a wrong one? Well, it's like, it, the way this works, Noah, is you assign. So once a company has been assigned to somebody else, and we've already lined YT up. So find the other fit or change your previous answer. God, this is Matt, stupid. where are you, Matt? I need to have yeah, this conversation I need Matt. with I you. Need Matt. Um, I don't know. I, I'm going to defer to Matt. All right. Jesus. Matt, please tell us. Wait, Matt already lined to finish you up with Blizzard. Yeah, we're talking about J-Skis. Okay. Um, Matt, Matt's right on Da Vinci. Quick take on Noli. This is a this is a brand I don't know that well. So so situate Noli for me. Yeah, I mean they're well, they're another Canadian brand. They're also in Vancouver. Uh, small brand, um, you know, and they're they're not producing a whole lot of bikes. They have a interesting suspension design uh, that they use on I think all of their models. Um, 
you know, they they seem like a brand that uh, had some interesting stuff going and kind of a cult following probably five to eight years ago. And they've kind of struggled to maintain that following. Um, you know, they haven't really been cranking out new designs, which is obviously tough for a small brand like that. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're, they're, I, I would sum them up as being small and uh, a little more cultish. They also, you know, their, their cult is maybe a little more Canadian since they are a mm-hmm. Canadian company. Um, so, yeah, I'm not sure who that lines them up with in terms of skis. Well, <clears throat> I think actually I'm I'm pretty tempted to just line them up with prior prior mm-hmm. skis and snowboard. Um, you know, got a Whistler base there. I mean, we we have been quite impressed by the several pairs of priors we were skiing this past season. Um, and I think that kind of gets to another question is like, you know, when we're talking about like, they just make cool stuff. Like if I now see, if I'm in a lift line and I see prior on somebody's feet, I have the response kind of like, Oh, cool. You know, I don't, I wonder how that cool because I'm like, there, it's not a big company. You kind of have to know to know. Um, and I guess I'm wondering, like, with, say, these different Canadian brands, we, you know, Rocky Mountain is a big one. There's Da Vinci, there's Norco, there's Noli. Who is kind of winning in terms of just, like, you're making sweet stuff. Everybody knows that. You're on these positive trajectories as opposed to, like, uh, it's you guys have been a bit quieter for a while. Uh, Rocky's winning that for sure. Um, okay. I mean they've they've uh, done some fairly significant redesigns in their lineup over the last year or two, and I think those changes have been for the better. Uh, and people seem real psyched on their bikes. They're doing well. They've got a. I mean they're a bigger company. Um, of those Canadian companies, I think Rocky's got to be the biggest. Um, so I would say Rocky is doing the best. Da Vinci, I think is doing fine. Like they're, they've got some new stuff. People are psyched on it. I, I think their trajectory is still upward. Um, Norco's maybe a little bit flat and Noli, I would say is, is maybe struggling just a little bit. Okay. There's also you pick the huge next... differences in sizes between those companies. Right. You know, Rocky yeah, Mountain yeah, under... is like a whole different volume. So. Yep. You pick the next one. Um, okay. So this one, this one wasn't on our list, but it occurred to me that I think it's a good one. So uh, I was thinking about Schwinn, which, <laughs> you know, everybody knows Schwinn. Like they were one of the biggest bike brands in the world for years until, you know, they, they went bankrupt and then they got bought and now they're basically like a Walmart bike. So they've gone from being like the, the, one of the biggest brands out there and making some of the best 
frames, like like the old bass boat homegrowns, are still like the the nicest looking bikes ever made. I, I think it's just a hmm. fact. Um, and they made, you know, they had like their DH bikes and some of their full suspension bikes were were uh, manufactured by Yeti. Like Yeti was doing the welding on them. Um, so they they had some really nice. There's some really nice frames that were Schwinn branded. Um, and so, yeah, they went from like the highest high to like the lowest low of like, they still technically exist, but as far as I'm concerned, they don't exist. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so that one I thought would be Olin. Hmm. Olin skis. Like there was the Mark four, which was like yeah the hot yeah. shit ski. Like they were, they were, I don't know if they were at the top, but they were like right up there in the mix with like noteworthy brands. And now I, I had to Google this. Apparently K2 bought the rights to Olin skis because apparently Olin is like this huge company that does all sorts of other stuff. And skis were just like a little side project for them. Uh, but yeah, they're, they're just gone. Uh, you know, if, if this was like 1986, then, you know, if you were on Olin's, that'd be like, yeah, you're on sweet skis. And now if you're on Olin's, it's like, I haven't seen a pair of those in quite a while. Hmm. So yeah, that, that's my throwback comparison. Okay. Okay. You know, it was funny. We had, there were a couple comments. I think this was, these were left in the comment section uh, to the show notes of this episode on, on our site, but some people really I thought did a solid effort of trying to line up kind of these smaller indie companies. And the reason I bring this up is just because like, look, there are on the ski side, there are a number of like interesting indie companies and a number of them have are doing, you know, kind of emphasizing a custom thing. So we, you know, we just talked about prior um, we've talked about like ON3P, but there are companies like Folsom Custom Skis, Wagner Custom Skis, yep. you know, Parlor, um, et cetera. And again, I think people should look at the comments section for the, the uh, part one for some interesting potential analogs. But mostly it just kind of seemed like maybe this was a lazy Noah thing to say, but you were kind of like, look, they're just, you know, a, a really good Folsom ski or a really good parlor ski. We will like, that's what we do, right? We go a B those skis against whatever the best ski in that category is from, you know, a, a giant company, right. a right. Solomon atomic. That's a harder thing to kind of create those analogies. It seems Right. So like somebody. Right. I mean, the small, the small boutique brands in the bike world, for the most part, are making really nice, like gorgeous steel and titanium hardtails. You know, yep. it's like Indie Fab and I don't even know all of the small brands these days. Black Sheep, I think, um, you know, Merlin, I think they're probably still around seven cycles. Like these are these are companies that. 15 years ago when I was spending a lot of time riding hardtails, I was super psyched on and I could tell you the differences between each of those independent frame builders. Mm -hmm. And these days, uh, that knowledge has faded from my brain. 
but but they those guys are the equivalent of the Folsom or the Wagner. You know, it, it's a shop where you can go in and say, I want a bike built to these specifications. You know, I want, you know, this geometry and, and you know, I want it to be stiff here or flexy there. You know, like these shops can do that sort of thing for you. And some of them are offering more off-the-shelf kind of uh, predetermined numbers, but they're still all built by hand. You know, there, there's some guy who is overseeing that bike probably from start to finish uh, and making sure that it is made perfectly. And they're really kind of beautiful works of art. Whereas, you know, if you're going to make a bike that's going to compete with a specialized Enduro right. or a Trek Fuel EX, I mean, carbon molds are insanely expensive yeah. and they're generally not going to be making a new mold for, you know, whatever custom geometry you want. And so really like the, the boutique equivalents that we're a being against a specialized Enduro or a Trek or whatever, you know, that is Pivot and Ibis and Yeti and, uh, you know, some of those brands that are they are boutique, but they're not custom. Uh, they're high end, but they're still relatively large companies, at least compared to like a Wagner skis or a Folsom skis or, you know, Owen 3P or whoever. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I think they're now, I guess I should back up in the comments and people pointed out like Alchemy and there's one or two companies in Europe who I can't think of off the top of my head that are doing some high-end, more custom full suspension bikes. And there's definitely some companies that are doing high-end full suspension bikes that are made out of metal. Um, you know, steel's a little easier to work with, but I think there's a couple that are doing aluminum, somewhat custom aluminum bikes. So they exist. Those bikes... Um, I think they are built for a very particular set of needs, usually. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, I don't think they're quite comparable to like a, a Wagner or a Folsom. Yeah. I think we might be getting close to wrapping this up. Um, who, let's take a sec, who are the like, I don't know, one or two or three most interesting companies? that we should definitely talk before we sign off. Well, so this, somebody, I, I think posted this as a question in one of the comments, but I liked it was that Scott bikes does kind of equal Scott skis. Um, mm -hmm. and I've been struggling to come up with a good explanation of why other than just, they, they, they seem like they are both situated roughly equivalently in the market where it's like, there's some solid Scott bikes that we've liked. Uh, I can't say I'm super familiar with Scott's current ski lineup, but I have had some Scott skis in the past that I got along with pretty well. So like they are both entirely capable of making a good product, but they, and, and they're, you know, it's a big company. Like they, yeah, they exist for sure. It's not like some yeah. super rarity to come across one. But they just never quite seem like they're competing on the same level as as the bigger companies. Hmm. 
Yeah, I I don't know. I I I thought that was I actually really liked that comment too. Scott bike equal, equals Scott skis. Um, I had initially lined up Scott bikes with Fisher skis, mm-hmm. um, which, which I think I could say the exact same thing about. Like, except that, except that. I would argue right now, this is a, I'm in, I'm in not safe territory here. Like I don't, I'm not, uh, I wouldn't die. I wouldn't die for this statement at all. But right now, I think what is happening on Scott's ski, Scott, sorry, on the ski side for Scott is they are really starting to make a stronger consistency push where overall they are going lighter and lighter on their skis. Mm. So that is becoming like this emergent characteristic of Scott's skis. They're going light. Whereas Fisher is making like, they're certainly offering like light skis and Nordic skis and a whole range of stuff. But they, they don't seem, they just seem to be offering more stuff. And frankly, I think within their, different categories they're making some really good stuff you know in their different segments whereas with scott right now i'm like oh you seem to be doing the like single dance move of everything's really light yeah so i don't i just don't know how that lines up against scott's offerings on the bike side well and i think well scott's not necessarily going super light on the bike side and i also think that i'm i am maybe giving a little too much credit to Scott's market position on the ski side and maybe not enough credit to Scott's market position on the bike side. I mean, Uh I I should point out that, uh, that Nino Scherter is riding a Scott. He's pretty much at the top of the game on the XC side of things. You know, he, he is, uh, if not a, he's either a contender or the expected winner of any given world cup. So, um, yeah, I mean, they've got fast guys riding Scots, uh, they have a solid downhill team too. So, you know, they're not, they're not, uh, flying under the radar or anything. Uh, but it just, you know, I'm judging it again from a North American perspective. I don't see a ton of Scots at the trailhead. Um, Mm -hmm. so but okay, so interesting. So, but is it fair to say then that Scott, because you, I mean, look, given the trails you yourself are riding, is it fair to say that Scott is just doing better in the kind of XC slash light trail bike categories um, than maybe? I mean, that's always, it's kind of tough to say. It's like, yeah, they, yeah I mean, they make a great, XE race bike, a couple of them, and they are being ridden successfully. But, you know, generally at the trailheads, I mean, Scott makes a whole line of bikes. They make a bunch of perfectly competent, good trail bikes. But I just don't really see them around. Um, And I don't go to a whole lot of cross-country races, so I'm not really sure what people are riding there i I would bet that i would see some scots i would bet that i would see far more uh specialized epics and prep pop fuels yeah okay 
Well, I think our, in sum, what we're saying is Scott Bikes is maybe, actually not maybe, Scott Bikes is almost certainly kind of ahead of versus like Scott Skis, mm-hmm. just in terms of where they're situated. But on the, and it was actually, it was Vince Rideau who, uh, who grabbed us with this analog of Scott Bikes's Scott Skis. I actually think I do want to stick with Fisher. Like I'm going to call Scott Bikes lines up best with Fisher skis as opposed to Scott Bikes to Scott skis. Yeah, I'm final with final Vince. answer. I, I'm going with Vince. I like Scott okay. and Scott. It's just so tidy Vince, and clean. Vince, just for the record, you're going with the guy who is wrong just, just a lot. Yeah, welcome but, uh, to team disappointment, Vince. <laughs> welcome to team disappointment, Vince. What else we got? Um Let's let's wrap this soon. What else we got? Um, okay, here's a here's a good one. Let's do KHS. So okay. KHS has sponsored a couple of the guys that have been at the top of the national DH scene. Uh, so these are guys that maybe do an occasional World Cup, but mostly they just kill it in the U.S. Uh, I I think they've their team isn't quite as as dominant these days, but there was a couple of years where they were super solid. Uh, but I, I, I was thinking about this. I don't think I have ever actually seen a KHS in the wild. So, so it's a bike brand that exists. I go to Interbike. They always have a big booth. They have a DH team that is fast. And I don't think I've ever actually seen one. <laughs> or if I have, it's been a long time. So who's mm-hmm. the equivalent of that on the ski side? Oh man. Who who is the who is the ski company that I've never seen before? Yeah, that's like always around. Like you're aware that they exist, but you have never actually seen a normal consumer on one of their skis. Um okay, well the first the first answer that actually popped into my head and i'm not sure this is the right answer but stokely um at least where you know where i'm spending my time skiing and i don't know on in lift lines and hiking ridges and that kind of stuff um i you know i see their booth at at outer bike but at outer bike man i see their booth at like sia but um I don't, I do not see many of them on the mountain, but there's, I don't think that's, there's got to be another company that, yeah, they're kind of around, but they're not around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I, for whatever it's worth, I know a couple guys that ski Stokely's at least semi-regularly. Okay. Um, yeah, that's a whole nother sometime after, after several glasses of bourbon, I will give my unfiltered stokely take um but uh yeah so anyway if somebody's got the let's let's call in matt or vince or or the others uh who is who is our khs analog yeah we're gonna have to gather together team disappointment and have a brainstorming session (laughs) exactly let's find a final let's find a final company to go out with um um Okay, how about, uh, let's do Diamondback. Um, okay. So, 
you know, Diamondback traditionally, I think, I think they kind of made their name in the BMX market, but then they've been making mm-hmm. mountain bikes for a long time. They've always been, you know, fine, but nothing all that interesting or exceptional. Uh, like there wasn't a whole lot to set them uh, apart from the herd. I mean, they've always kind of been a little more budget oriented, but there's a few brands that are budget oriented. So it was, you know, there's, it was tough to make a real compelling argument for why to go with the Diamondback. But then recently they've, they've totally redesigned a bunch of their bikes. They're doing, um, I don't remember off the top of my head what they call the, the linkage design, but it's essentially the Santa Cruz's VPP patent expired. And so Diamondback came in and they are now making VPP type bikes. They don't call it VPP, but it's essentially similar to a Santa Cruz design. And uh, I have not personally spent any time on them, but uh, from quite a few people that I've talked to that seem to know what they're talking about, they're pretty psyched on them. Uh, So it seems like Diamondback is coming out with a bunch of solid bikes that are well-designed, that work well, but they are still coming in at a pretty competitive price point. Uh, And it's the sort of thing where it sounds like it's uh, easy to come across good deals on these new Diamondbacks. Um, So, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's sort of, uh, it's this company that has kind of, worked its way and and I don't know if I would say floundered, but they just sort of coasted along for a long time. But now they've got something new and different and it seems to be working well for them. People are excited about it. It seems like Hmm. I've seen, unlike a KHS, I have actually seen quite a few of these Diamondbacks around on the trails. Uh, So apparently people are buying them. Um, So yeah, like it's kind of a, like a budget brand with an upward trajectory let me ask you for a second noah then diamondback versus gt how would you given what you just said about diamondback how do we think about gt um so like if i were gonna graph this like they would start at the same place like they both kind of had like bmx roots Mm -hmm. and then gt took off early like in the 90s gt was like basically at the top you know they had hans ray riding for them they had the zaskar which was one of the greatest bikes of that decade um you know then they had like steve pete winning downhill races uh they had some super funky designs but but they were doing well like the gts were awesome bikes Um, and then they basically, they didn't go, you know, they got mixed up in the whole Schwinn thing. Schwinn and GT, uh, all got bought up by the same larger Durrell corporation. And so GT, I'm not sure if you can get a GT at Walmart these days, but they sort of became Walmart bikes and then they sort of clawed themselves out of that. And so now they make a whole bunch of uh, high-end bikes. Uh, You know, they've got fast guys racing on them in the World Cup, uh, more on the downhill end of things, but they do some enduro stuff. Um, But they've never even come close to regaining their 
market position that they had in the 90s. And mm-hmm. so, but Diamondback was more of this sort of like, they never peaked in the 90s like GT did. There was no Diamondback in the 90s that was like the hot shit bike that everybody had to have. Uh, and so Diamondback kind of had like maybe a very slow, gradually upward trend that I think is is ticking upward now, whereas GT kind of spiked upwards and then went way down, like below zero on whatever the scale of this graph is. And now yep. have like, you know, I would say they've ticked back up to somewhere a bit below where Diamondback is now. Okay. Um, but describing imaginary graphs on a podcast isn't maybe the most effective way to do this, but... Honestly, I thought that was brilliant. Okay, team disappointment coming through. Yeah, coming through. Uh, that I thought that was really well done. Um, I actually now I want to ask you. I think I, let's stick with your invisible graph that you just made. Yeah, because this makes for wonderful. You know, and for those listening, that are watching me, I'm also mimicking it with my hands. That that actually makes me really happy too. Put mongoose on this graph with Diamondback and GT. Well, so let me see. Uh, again, I think roughly similar starting point, like in the eighties, uh, BMX bikes. And then, well, I think they ticked up in the nineties, uh, more than Diamondback, but less than GT. Mongoose is one of those brands that had rebranded intense bikes. So they had some fast hmm. people riding mongoose, um, and then they are also in this whole. Uh, they get caught up in this corporate buyout at the end of the '90s that goes terribly, and so now mongoose still exists. They uh, they make some pretty nice bikes. They also make a lot of department store Walmart bikes, and so. You know, I would say they are uh, maybe below GT these days and definitely below Diamondback uh, in terms of, uh, I don't know, general brand presence. And uh, yeah, so they're not doing so great. Um, But if we wanted to make the mongoose feel, mongoose people feel better than we could talk about Haro. as the other uh-huh. as the other BMX brand from the 80s that uh yeah just they they did all right in the 90s as well uh had a couple people riding for them but yeah I, I think they still make bikes I'm pretty sure they do um make uh mountain bikes I should say so but okay. but yeah mongoose is doing better than them <laughs> Well there you go Well um Noah I think we have wrapped up part two. I think we're going to leave it there. Um, we're going to definitely be doing this. I don't know if it's just on an annual basis or something, uh, but I think that people have weighed in. We've got other people than just you and me who for some reason enjoy this and find this interesting. So I don't know. If we get enough of a response to this episode, maybe we'll have to do a kind of like a, I don't know, uh, what does one say? You're the lawyer, like not a post mortem. Uh, yeah, post mortem sounds good. If enough, 
if enough interesting comments come in that we think we have to address, we'll maybe do a part three. Otherwise, you know, people can just stay tuned for the next uh, volume two of Bikes versus Skis. But um, I think we did okay here. Well, we're going to have to, I mean, we're going to have to start comparing bikes and skis to, to other products. Let's not go down that road just yet. We get to spin this into an entire franchise. What kind of coffee pot do you think Specialized is? Not not today. Um, so <laughs> I don't know. I don't even drink coffee. Yeah. Well, so let's, yeah, let's just wrap. Um, so yeah, like last time, feel free, please, to leave us your comments either on Instagram. We should consolidate this. I mean, do it on the website if you can. Website or Instagram, and then we have fewer different channels to be hunting down all the answers to. Um, let's do it like that, but I'm sure you guys are going to have some uh, interesting interesting thoughts on part two. And um, yeah, this was fun. Um, any final words of wisdom, Noah? Uh, yeah, I'm looking for – we're always accepting new members of Team Disappointment. So if anybody <laughs> has some great ideas that Jonathan's going to hate, uh, let's try to consolidate Team Disappointment on the website just to kind of keep us yeah. all disappointingly in one spot. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, Team Disappointment. Um, well, hey, very good. Um, I will let you go, Noah, and we will be talking again real soon, I am sure. Okie dokie. All right, thanks, man. That's it for this edition of Gear 30. Thanks to Noah Bodman for the conversation. And be sure to head over to our site to leave more of your insightful remarks or angry counter-arguments in the comments section of the show notes to this Gear 30 episode. Then be sure to head over to outerbike.com slash Crested Butte to learn more about riding and demoing bikes in Crested Butte on August 17th. Finally, thanks as always to our strikingly handsome audio engineer, Justin Bob, and we will talk to you all again real soon.